Hey y'all, welcome back. Part two here on the Wednesday, July 27th, 2022 edition here on the Chase the Most Podcast. Fangraph's John Taylor joins uh, the program for part two here to talk some Phillies, Braves, Otani, uh, Soto and the Cardinals, Dallas Keuchel uh, joining up with the Rangers. We got uh, where Wilson Contreras is going to end up and Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. The Tigers weirdly doing a fire sale potentially this summer and uh, what what the Red Sox can do, John's team. So uh, rough times in Boston on that front. So all kinds of great MLB uh, content to talk about here on part two of the Wednesday, July 27th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can check us out on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe and watch all of our video content there as we continue beefing up the youtube page uh you can also tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer and then of course email this very program any mailbag questions you have for me or just any questions for the show at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com all right part two coming up in just one second uncle darren let's go Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello and welcome back to a Tuesday afternoon, really late afternoon edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast with Fangraphs John Taylor. John, good evening, sir. How are you? Yeah, I was going to say more of like a Tuesday evening edition, I guess. I guess I always. I don't know. For me evening just implies darkness like i i struggle with the whole mm. evening thing when it's not dark outside but in the summer it's like not till nine o'clock so what does that really mean i just i don't associate even evening when it's still very much sunny outside my window right now it just doesn't does it like you have just a gigantic sun blob right behind you right now john so it's, it's just hard to say evening yeah no that that's fair it's, it's still quite bright over here and it will be for Probably another hour or so, I would guess. At least, John. At least. Yeah, at least. Um, well, this is going to be a fun episode because we have no idea what's going to break uh, before this episode goes live. But hopefully, hopefully nothing crazy uh, in the next 24 hours or so. But I think we have a plan for at least one of those uh, things because there was a long embrace by Ian Happ and uh, Wilson Contreras this afternoon that seems to indicate that the two of them are not uh, going to be teammates for much longer um let's start uh with the braves though so they lost to the phillies last night six to four john and mm-hmm. uh watching the Bra- the phillies defense in in real time is is just a treat um the braves obviously lost they've lost two in a row they've not lost three in a row at any point this year so uh we'll see if that uh is the case tonight with spencer strider on the mound against nola but um there was an air. I don't know if you watched any of the highlights of this game last night, John, but Johan Camargo had both a great five, four, three double play and mm-hmm. an absolute disaster <laughs> of a ball, a routine grounder from third to first where he just air mails it to Reese Hoskins and it results in two runs and the Braves went up to nothing. But there were a lot of, there was a wild pitch uh, not too long after that, that got away uh, behind real Muto that put the Braves up three, nothing. But I mean, it's just, it reminded me of watching like a college game. Like I, I watch a lot of college baseball and you see stuff like this all the time in college. And that's no disrespect to college, but there's a lot of walk-ons in college. There's a lot, there's a couple stars, but then there's a lot of folks who are never going to play professional or even minor league baseball, um, mm-hmm. filling out these rosters. So mistakes happen while pitches happen. Uh, 
air mailing throw routine throws from third to first happen. It's just weird to watch a, this happen to a major league baseball team all the time. And whenever people talk about the Phillies defense and you, if you're a, an, a fan who is not a Phillies fan and doesn't watch them day in, day out, when someone tells you that it's unbelievably bad and a wild ride, let me tell you, it is a wild ride and you have to believe them, John. Uh, yeah, the Phillies defense is really poor. I mean, we, we've talked about this before the season. We talked about this during the season, but Reese Hoskins at first, um, Didi Gregorius at short, Alec Bohm at third, or I guess uh, not Gregorius right now, Bryson Stott, mm-hmm. um, Castellanos and Schwarber in the corners. Literally does not matter who they put in center field. They are all below average defenders. Um, the only positions where Philadelphia even, I think, grades out as average, if even above average, is catcher and second base. And that was second base of Gene Segura. I'm not sure if that's still the case with uh, with Stott. But, yeah, and I think if, if you're the Phillies, part of the problem there is that, you know, at least when it comes to the middle infield and in terms of trying to get better there, because, you know, right now, like I said, they're, they're shortstop. Situation is uh, Gregorius when he's healthy, Stott currently because Gregorius is not healthy. Uh, Johan Camargo is also a possibility, but not really someone you're going to want starting there on a regular basis. There's not really any middle infield help, I don't think, to be found among the non-contending teams. Or at least there's nothing obvious in my mind. I don't know if you're, you know, if you feel like, you know, when you've looked around that there's been someone out there you think could help the Phillies. But really, I mean... I would say, you know, maybe if the Phillies want to do something, like someone like Jose Iglesias would probably make mm. a lot of sense. Um, Unless the Rays get him first. He feels like a Rays guy because I think his contract's up for the year. Like this feels like a Ray to me. Jose Iglesias. He does. And, and Tampa like also has uh, problems at shortstop given that Wander Franco is out and right. they have not really gotten much of anything from Taylor Walls or Vidal. Brandon Lau's back, though. And he's Brandon Lau is back. That does give him some flexibility, although I don't know how comfortable they would feel playing uh, Isaac Paredes at short on the regular until Franco is back. But yeah, uh, Iglesias would make sense for the Phillies too as a free agent to be who, I mean, no, he's, he's never going to be much of a hitter except for at cores, but truthfully, Didi Gregorius is not much of a hitter right now either. And nor is Bryson Stott and Iglesias at the very least is a better fielder than all of them put together. Uh, similarly, I mean, if you're looking at center field options, I, I guess it depends, you know, I don't, it doesn't, we, it's weird. We haven't really seen Ramon Laureano's name pop up. In, conver- in trade conversations yet. It makes me wonder if Oakland is just either not interested in moving him or if they just haven't really found uh, a fit. Although if they had found a fit, I, I would guess, you know, we would be hearing his name more often. But, yeah, we're not we're not really seeing that. Obviously, uh, Andrew Benintendi, an option to be to put in a corner uh, and move someone else to the DH spots. Although I you know don't know how much that ultimately helps the defense. I mean, Benintendi is a better defender than uh, than Castellanos and Schwarber for sure. Um, but low otherwise, you know, you, yeah, extremely low bar there. But when you look otherwise, you know, the guys you're expecting to see move this move this deadline, you know, maybe maybe Hap, maybe a Contreras, but obviously he he doesn't really fit what the Phillies are, are doing. I, I they I really really doubt they have anywhere near the pieces necessary for Soto. They'd have to move. They would probably have to put their in their top ten, all top ten of their prospects on offer, and I still think the Nationals would turn them down. Either way, it's yeah, it's going to be that. a little it's going to be a little tricky, I think, for the Phillies to make the upgrades to their lineup and defense that I think that they need. In part because the defense is just bad everywhere, but also in part because there just aren't really impact players available at either center field or shortstop right now, or at least 
you know, if there is an impact center fielder somewhere, I, I'm it's I'm just blanking on it, but it, it seems more likely that they'd have to just go with some kind of smaller moves there, and maybe maybe the play is instead, you know, if you are going to go after someone and you are going to, you know, add that impact player, maybe it's a Luis Castillo, maybe it's a Frankie Montes, maybe it's maybe it's it's bullpen help, you know, because it's, mm. you can always use bullpen help. So, but yeah, I, I'm curious to see what the Phillies do. They're one of those teams that it feels like has more problems than they have solutions to the problems. And in particular, one of their outstanding problems is their farm system simply doesn't have the depth necessary to bring in the kind of impact solutions you would need on the major league roster. So yeah, I'm definitely going to be interested to see what Dave Dombrowski and company do uh, with now a week to go before the deadline and, and what they're, what they're targeting. And the vibes aren't good. And this is one of those things. Um, I uh, <laughs> I think I sent you over the weekend. I'm sure you saw it, but uh, the Castellanos back and forth with the mm-hmm. Phillies reporter. Uh, I don't recall who it was exactly who was in the back and forth with him, um, but he was. It was like kind of that. That's a clown question, bro. Moment uh, with Bryce Harper from years ago. A classic moment um, because it was the same kind of thing where I think they asked him if he was going to have a beer or something, and it's like Bryce is uh not a drinker or anything so it's just mm-hmm. one of those you know the answer to this question why are you asking me this question yeah um the same was true with nick where he said there were booze and uh, we're paraphrasing a little bit here but then he was like did you hear them as a, <laughs> nick like if i'm nick castellanos it's like i know what you're trying to get at here man but like yeah heard the booze i know i've sucked at the plate this year i know i haven't been good i know the booze are there i don't know what you want me to say but like no, I didn't hear those loud Philly fans booing. What? Like, what am I supposed to say to that? So, I don't know. I do agree because there were some some folks on Twitter.com who were like, oh, it's a fair question. I'm like, I, I don't, I mean, any most questions I think are fair. Like, you can ask whatever, but is it a bad question? Yeah, like, that's just a bad question to ask, ask Nick Castellanos. Like, there's a way to phrase that question where you could actually have gotten a response, a much better response from Nick um, but it's also just like reading the room. Like clearly this dude's in a bad place, bad headspace. He's having a rough year. Um, people are dunking on him. Philly's a tough place <laughs> mm-hmm. to play when you're having a rough year. Um, I don't know. I just, I'm so curious to see what the Phillies do as we approach the deadline, because I think there's a case to be made to just blow this thing up and be like, the vibes are just not working. This is the defense is too bad. Um, there's just too much we need to do. Let's just sell some pieces. Like, let's see what the Nick Castellanos uh, trade market looks like for him. Let's. See. I mean, there, there's no chance that there's anything of any value out. There. I mean, he he is by Fangraphs for the worst player in baseball this year. That's what I'm saying, though. It's like, like he's the ultimate. Just get him somewhere else and hope there, that. But no, but that's the thing. Like, you're no one is going to give you what you should be getting for Nick Castellanos, no matter what it is you think you should be getting for Nick Castellanos. Mm-hmm. I, I think. You know, if you're the Phillies, your only real hope here is that something unlocks in the second half of the season for him. Yeah. Um, because otherwise, I mean, at that, I mean, I would say if Cassianos is a guy that they're going to dump, I would think they would try to do it in the offseason, maybe as some kind of bad contract swap. Um, I already I don't remember off the top of my head how much Cassianos has left in terms of years, but I think it's another three after this. Mm hmm. Um, and also that, you know, once they know how Bryce Harper's elbow has healed and try to get a better sense of, you know, what he's going to need in the future. I mean, ideally, obviously, they'd put him back in the outfield where he belongs. But, you know, I mean, the, the part of the problem is Castellanos is, is a DH. You know, this is he does not belong in the outfield. And I imagine that's what the Phillies wanted is just to park him at DH and have that be the end of it. But obviously, that's not the case. Um, 
So yeah, it, it's just they're in just in a tough spot. Like the injuries they've sustained, the lack of depth that they have, it, it's all just left them in a place where, like I said, there there are more problems it feels like than there are solutions for this team right now. And I I don't really know that, you know, given given what their roster looks like, you know, and I and given you know who's on their, I, it, they don't really have impact uh, free agents to be that they can that they can move and try to get anything back on. I. I Schwarber probably the only guy who would bring anything back of any real substance. Um, even that, I, I don't really. I, I have a hard time seeing the Phillies do. I mean, Hoskins is probably not going to bring you much back. Ramudo is not going to bring you much back at this point. Castellanos is not going to bring you much back at this point. Uh, Stott and Bohm have not really shown, um, you know, have not really shown their full selves yet to to get to the point where you think you can get something useful back for them. I mean. I'm sure if you were to put Aaron Nolan and Zach Wheeler available on the market, you'd get people interested. But at the same time, I, you know, it's I, I really just have a hard time seeing Philly doing that unless unless things go dramatically worse, get dramatically worse rather between here and next Tuesday. For sure. Um, or things are not dramatically worse is the Atlanta Braves. John Taylor. Pretty good. Mm. Just nipping at the New York Mets heels. Um there's that report that came out uh, a few days back about the Braves being potentially in on Shohei Otani. And John, let me tell you, if there's one thing that uh, this world needs, it's Shohei Otani in an Atlanta Braves uniform for two years. Now, Braves fans, he would not be locked in for a long-term deal. That is a two-year rental, and that is it. The, 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 <laughs> what he, his next contract is not going to be something... Liberty Media is signing on for it. We can just close the book on that one. That is that is not a thing. That being said, Adam Duvall out for the year. Uh, unfortunately, with his wrist injury, he had surgery, and that's it for him. Um, there is a need for a Shohei Otani. I think uh, people are saying that uh, Shohei Otani might feel a need for any team in Major League Baseball uh, at any given point. But I... I think this was something that I laughed off at the beginning, but if there were like, it's kind of like the Brewers, they're kind of in the Brewer zone where they have the prospect capital. They developed really well. They're right there in the division. Once again, they're a team that's taken flyers on guys like this before where it's like, Hey, we're not re-signing this person. We're not locking CC Zabathia or Zach Grinke or whoever um, into these long-term contracts after we give up a lot of pieces for them. But if the Braves look at it as like we think we trust our development where we can get that we can build the pro, the farm back up and we have all of our guys on the main roster that like, hey, the rest of the roster is pretty filled. Like we already have like a billion arms in this pipeline and they drafted a bunch more. Um, there is a case to be made that this is not as silly uh, of an option if the Angels go down that road and the fact that. It does. It was kind of non-committal from uh, the Angels GM this week about like his future and if they were looking to uh, lock up Otani long term. And it was seems like Otani isn't really leaning towards signing a long term extension with Los Angeles. So I don't know. I I've kind of talked myself into like what are the possibilities out of ten? Like probably still a one to two out of ten opportunity. But I don't think I would be as floored next by next Tuesday as I would have been two weeks ago that Otani uh, was a brave because look the Angels are awful just saw them here this weekend John it was an absolute mess this team is terrible shout out to but I will say uh, they deserve one thing and Braves fans were dunking on him for this Phil Nevin had every right to be upset 
Um, I don't know if you saw what happened over the weekend, but uh, we had a check swing. Uh, I forgot who was at bat. It wasn't Duvall. It was, oh, it was Austin Riley who check swinged and on strike three that would have been in the inning. And instead, uh, and we were already at five two at this point. And then the next, the very next pitch, Riley blasted a two run bomb to left to put him up seven two. And you could mm-hmm. see like Otani leads off the next inning with a dinger to right. And Phil Mel, uh, Phil Nevin is uh, just you can read his lips where he's like, it's five that it should be five to two with some expletives, not seven to two in there. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was not great. But the Angels, I think, are kind of screwed, and I think. You have to explore it. And if you can get a big time haul for Otani, um, I think you have to seriously consider it because you got Trout locked in. But if Otani's not making it seem like he's going to lock in long term, I mean, I think it's I think it's possible. I would not be surprised if Otani's moved in the next week. What about you? Where are you at with that? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see him being moved. Um this off or this during this deadline that's there's there's just no way i mean i i think the angels will exhaust every last opportunity they they can to lock otani down long term because as with juan soto there's no there's no trade i don't think that makes you better for giving up uh shohei otani um like you said there's only i mean it's weird to think about this way with otani but especially given how many years of control he'll have left i, I can't imagine there's a team that's going to pony up uh, the prospects. That's for I, I just. It's hard to even imagine what a Shohei Otani trade looks like necessarily, because you're how many how many times has a team moved both an All Star MVP caliber hitter and an All Star MVP caliber pitcher in the same package like that? You know, it, it just it is yeah. as rare as the Soto trade is. Something involving Otani would be even rarer. Like that's just a. a Two players like that don't get moved, much less one player like that. So mm-hmm. I think the Angels will only move him if it becomes immediate. If it becomes just clear from him and his camp that there is no way, shape, or form he is re-signing in Los Angeles, that he wants to be somewhere else entirely, that he will not take any offer that they make him, and that they just need to move him. Yeah, basically, only if he requests a trade. I, I think that's the only way this happens. If he says flat out, "I don't want to be here anymore." But I think that's a possibility at this point. Like, no, that's I what I'm saying. When I you read his comments, I think he might do that. I think he might tell him, like, I'll play out this contract, but I'm not, like, through his agent, like, I'm not signing a long-term deal. I think that's a possibility. I certainly think that's a possibility. I just don't think if that is the case that we would get anything happening until at least this offseason. Yeah. Um, and probably, I don't know, I... I I just again, I struggle to try to figure out what what package even makes sense. Like if you're the if you're the Braves, what what would you have to put together to make that work? I mean, Kyle Muller. Is it a Michael Harris, William Contreras? No, you're not. Kyle Michael Mueller? Harris is not in this deal. But Absolutely that's the thing. Not. Like then then why would the why would the Angels say yes to any deal that doesn't get them a cost controlled starting player for a minimum five to six seasons? I wish there was like a sign and trade option because uh, you can revisit the Andrelton Simmons uh, situation there. So you can uh, dance with Swanson's in the package. Um, All-star dance with Swanson. Is there something to be done with like the lead, the lead element of the package being Ozzy Albies, given that that his extension takes him out another, what, four or five years, I believe. Yeah, that would hurt me. So don't take Ozzy off my team. That's but a- that's the thing. Like that's what are, what does that trade look like if you're, you know, oh, I don't Ian think Anderson's in it. Ian Anderson's absolutely in it. The, the Angels are many things, but they're not that dumb. Hold on. 
Ian Anderson is fine for them. That's he's going to give you innings. He's not going to be hurt. awful. Like he's been. He's there's been, something. There's something clearly wrong with Ian Anderson, be it injury or something else. And I don't. But under, people like, are saying Anaheim be, is the spot for in. him to revitalize it. I think people he'd be something closer to a throw in. Like you know, do yeah. the would the Braves have to put like a Contreras Strider package on the table? Can I interest you in a Mike Soroka? Or like. Or does someone like, uh, like you said, is it a Jared Schuster or Kyle Muller in place of Strider, but you also still have Harris and Contreras? I, I don't see how you come out of this without surrendering at minimum three of your top five prospects slash already eligible major league player or young. You know? Well, I think I, there's I just, only I a couple untouchable. I think it's Riley's untouchable. I think Acuna's untouchable. I don't think anyone should be untouchable for, for Shohei Otani. Oh, because that's 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 the Hold other on. part of it. Like Acuna still no 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 because he's gone. Like he's out. But in that's two the thing. Years. Then if you're going to trade for Shohei Otani, there's no point in doing it if you can't if you're if you're not going to give him the extension he's looking for. That's the other part of it because mm. you'd have to give up so much value in the process. Yeah. In terms of whatever the Angels are looking for, that you all you it's it's the same uh, same thing with Soto. Whoever trades for Soto more or less needs to sign him to an extension because what they've given up in exchange for him. I mean, granted, you're still going to get two and a half full seasons out of him, and that's great. But you're, you're so much better off just getting that extent. I guess, I guess that's the thing. It's like that's the other part of the Otani situation is, you know, Soto will probably sign an extension wherever he goes. We don't really have a sense that there's one place or one team or one or whatever that he's not, you know, not willing to go aside from he just doesn't want to be. You know, I don't even know if he doesn't want to be in D.C. at this point or if he just feels like that the franchise is not really working for him. Whereas someone like. Otani, I mean, he started off being like, I want to be on a West Coast team. I want to mm-hmm. be, you know, in Los Angeles or in Anaheim, at least. Like, has that changed? Is there, you know, if, if he were to demand a trade, would he also say, you know, these are the five to ten teams that I'm willing to go to and no one else should be involved in this process? Is Atlanta one of them? If Atlanta is involved, does Atlanta's ownership, is Atlanta's ownership going to pull the trigger and actually give him the money he wants? Oh, I can answer that. That's a that's a no. Jonathan. Right. And so ultimately, it just feels like. He has to go to a team a la the Yankees that will make the payroll space available. Or the Mets. Or the Mets. You know, it's it's gotta be a team that's willing to spend because otherwise you're kind of just you're otherwise you're you're gonna be throwing so many prospects at him just to get one in one half seasons worth of play out of him or two seasons or whatever it is. And that's great. That's extremely valuable, but at the same time, it's more valuable to have him locked up longer term again, especially if you're going to have to give up what you're give up what you're giving up. Like I said, I, I I'm don't terrified know. he's going to be a Met. Like Bill, the Billy Epler connection because he is the guy who signed him, who is now running the Mets with an unlimited checkbook. I, if I had a gun to my head, it's I don't think Otani's an angel in the next two years, and if he's not, like you're saying, it has to be someone who's willing to pay what his asking price is. If you're going to give up that much prospect capital and the Mets seem to make the most logical sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the issue with the Mets is prospect capital wise. I'm not sure they would have necessarily what it takes. I mean, it, it again, it's it's a similar discussion as to what's going on with Soto. It's like, you know, mm. at least your top four or five prospects and ideally one of those guys should be an already established MLB player who still has lots of team years remaining, which is why a guy like Harris or Contreras or Strider immediately comes to mind as, oh, hey, Already, like already showing major league success, will be cheap for the next three to you know three to five years, relatively speaking. You know that's a guy we want to build that package around. If it's the Yankees, I mean, I don't necessarily know who that is for the Yankees. I think Glaber Torres is probably too far along at this point. Although hmm. I, I'd be curious. I don't. Th- I think he only's only got next season under team control, and that's it. Um, 
but yeah, I, 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 I that, I'm all the more reason like an Otani trade is so complicated because of just what, how do you value him properly that I can't imagine that any team is thinking about that right now. And I have to imagine that for the angels sake, they would, like I said, they'd probably exhaust every Avenue toward trying to keep him, which makes it feel like it would be more of an off season thing. Cause it's just, especially cause then you have, excuse me, an entire off season to evaluate deals, to try to figure out, you know, what you want out of it, to try to see who, who wants to be available for it or who, who would be available for it. Um, and also the off season, I think is a lot easier for teams to try to figure out those kind of salary concerns of if we were to bring this player on, you know, given our current payroll, what can we do? You know, given the free agents we're losing, the free agents we're gaining, the moves we want to make, how do we fit him into this? As opposed to the, the, the deadline is a hard time to do that, which is why also I don't expect if Soto is moved, I don't expect he'll get signed to something right away. I assume it'll be something that happens over the off season once a team gets to clear its books for 2022 and then say, okay, now that we've got that taken care of, let's get him signed and then figure out everything beyond that. You know, why I feel like ultimately like, you know, for as much as the Yankees could definitely use Juan Soto right now, I find it, I mean, it, I, I think it would be interesting for them to try to trade for him now because as we've said before, like that basically sets it up as you're keeping one of Judge or Soto and it has to be Soto in a sense. Or basically if you trade for Soto, you're letting go of Judge. And I think the Yankees would rather figure out what they want to do with Judge first and how willing he would be to take whatever offer that they're going to make him uh, once the season is over before deciding, okay, if that's not an option anymore, then we pivot over to Juan Soto because we know we're going to have all this money free that we're not going to give to Aaron Judge. Unless they've already made that decision now that they're not going to give Judge whatever money he's looking for no matter what he asks for. But, you know, that's obviously not something we know yet. We'll see. But it makes it a fascinating thing to watch on the outskirts of the deadline where it's like we have these mini trades that might happen. But like, it's kind of amazing that there is a possibility at the very least that Soto and Otani are moved in a six month span where we just don't see stuff like this ever in Major League Baseball. And well, no, I mean, that's, what happens, is, that's what happens when you have when they belong to two of the more incompetent franchises around currently. I mean, that's that's true. Um, but the good news for Juan Soto um, that he might be going to look. It's been rough uh, in Washington this past year. Um, but, you know, where it's not rough where the best fans in baseball uh, happen to happen to go watch uh, their Cardinals play. So Juan Soto, uh, apparently the leaders in the clubhouse for the Juan Soto sweepstakes is the Cardinals. John mm-hmm. Taylor, does that make sense to you that yeah, the Cardinals? That makes- Okay, that makes perfect sense to me because part of it is I think Atlanta lines up best with what the Nationals would want in terms of both top prospects and in terms of major league ready young players. I think any Soto deal would probably have Nolan Gorman at the front of it. Um, Mm -hmm. This guy who's going to be, you know, who's already up, who's going to have that team control for an extended period of time. Um, I think, you know, obviously not on his same level, but, you know, there also are guys on that roster like Brendan Donovan and Lars Newtbar. Um, who have some value in, alongside him. Similarly, you know, you have some of their young pitchers. Uh, I was going to say, like, a, well, not really. Ryan Helsley's a little old, and they're not going to mm. do that. But, um, you know, they can they can build a deal around Gorman. Uh, they can certainly add on some of their top prospects like Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, um, maybe a Tank Hens. I'm not sure if they want to move Matthew Liberator just because that's, I think, going to depend largely on whether or not they have the pitching depth to make that move, but maybe someone like an Alec Burleson as well. I mean, I, the Cardinals have a lot of prospect depth they can move 
And again, they do have that young guy already on. I, again, I have to imagine any Soto deal involves Gor- Nolan Gorman going the other way, mm. um, which is I mean, admittedly probably going to be a little tough for the Cardinals to swing. Um, you know, they do not really have an infield option right now to replace Gorman, um, who's been kind of floating all over the infield. But at the same time, their starting right fielder right now is Lars Newtbar, and that's just not something that's feasible at all. And they mm-hmm. also, it looks like Harrison Bader is not going to be back anytime soon from the plantar fasciitis that landed him on landed him on the injured list back at the end of June. So, yeah, I, I think the I think the Cardinals would make a lot of, a lot of sense for Soto just in terms of the availability, in terms of the package they could put together, and in terms of the fact that money wise, given how much um, money the Cardinals are co- or the sorry not the Cardinals the Rockies have covered for uh nolan arenado and given that you know paul goldschmidt's already toward the back half of the contract he has let me let me just pull it up anyway but Mm. that cardinals roster does not have a whole lot of money already locked down with really anyone i think beyond arenado and excuse me beyond arenado and goldschmidt you know if Mm. you look at you look at their contracts right now um like i said goldschmidt i think is the biggest long-term deal on there for the, I believe, two years he has left at somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 million, I think. And that looked bad before this season. It looks great right, right now. Um, the presumptive mm-hmm. NL MVP and, and Paul Goldschmidt. Um, beyond that, I mean, you have, again, you have a lot of guys who are so relatively young and not making all that much. Um, I don't know why this contracts page won't load. Come on. Baseball reference is kind of slow sometimes. Um, Okay, so you have Arenado through 2026 at $35 million a year. You have Goldschmidt through 2024 at $26 million a year. But that's really mm-hmm. it. Uh, Miles Mikolas' contract, his finishes at next year, um, $17 million, and that's the end of it. Um, Paul DeYoung, which I also imagine that given how... Uh, no, Paul Young won't be all that cheap, but you know he can get at least another two years out of him for relatively cheap. I have to imagine he might he's be gone. part of a package. Like, he's back. not in their plans. Otherwise, no, and I, I would wonder if he might be something that the the cart that the someone the Nationals would be interested in. But aside from Arenado, mm. Goldschmidt, and to a certain degree, the combination of Steven Matz and Miles Mikolas, there's no one else really on the books going forward. Obviously, Adam Wainwright and Yanni Molina are gone after this season. Uh, guys like Jack Flaherty and. Uh, Gio Gallegos and the rest of their bullpen aren't going to be expensive for quite some time. Tyler O'Neill is uh, still arbitration eligible. Tommy Edmond is still only just now reaching the uh, is still in arbitration. You know, Dylan Carlson is only is still in arbitration. I don't think even I think Dylan Carlson is still pre-arb right now. You know, the Cardinals. Yeah, they have one hundred and forty million dollars or sorry, one hundred and six million dollars currently committed in guaranteed money next year. Excuse me. Plus about roughly an estimated twenty-five million dollars in arbitration costs. Um, Adding a few extra in terms of options and stuff, you're getting to about one hundred and forty million. That's not breaking the bank territory, you know. Mm -hmm. Considering that the Cardinals for this season are already somewhere in the neighborhood of a one hundred and sixty or so, I think. You know, a Soto deal would not take them appreciably that much over, particularly if they can find a way one to try to maybe move to Young and get some of his money off the books in exchange, Um, or two, you know, and again the the top end of that roster, Arenado Goldschmidt's really the only expensive part. Now, does that complicate, or do, would things get complicated if the if the Nationals insisted on Pat Corbin being part of this deal? Probably. There's still sixty million dollars left uh, going his way. That I think is going to be really hard for a lot of teams to swallow. He just does not, obviously, is not um, his contract is not you know, or sorry, his 
his results are not borne out by that contract. I think there is a pretty big risk that when it comes to uh, when it comes to Corbin, that you're really just not going to get anything more for those sixty million dollars. You're probably going to end up uh, releasing him at some point in the next season, I would guess. But like I said, I, I think the Cardinals have definitely have the package of talent, at least that would put them at the front of the at the front of the the line, with the possible exception of if the Dodgers or the Yankees just go hog wild and say you can have our top five prospects, it doesn't matter. And then and then I think maybe the Cardinals are not that are no longer the favorite, but. Unless, until and unless that's the case, I'd say they probably have the best opportunity of all the teams. And I think they also have an ability to take on his future salary commitment in a way that uh, most, again, aside from the Yankees, the Dodgers and the Mets, I think most teams probably do not have the space to do that. Interesting. Do you think it gets done before next Tuesday? It's really hard to say because on the one hand, there's no like again, there's no reason for the the Nationals to do this except for, you know, the reasons they've already decided because they just don't feel like paying Juan Well, they're just doing it. That's happening. Like, we're we're past that at this point. That's kind of the thing. It's like, if you're going to trade Juan Soto, then you should do it as soon as possible because his value isn't just that he's Juan Soto. It's how much longer the team that gets him will have Juan Soto. And any team that gets him now, obviously, is going to get him as part of both a playoff push and a World Series push. So... I think if they're gonna, if they're serious about doing this, if they're serious about the about about trading him, if they're really serious that they don't think there's any way to keep him, then yeah, they have to do this before next Tuesday. I don't think it's necessarily a disaster if they end up moving him this off season, but it is going to reduce the the likely or it is going to reduce the the package they get in return, and I think it is going to come more likely than not with Corbin stapled alongside him. And may, who knows, maybe that's the real catch right now is that no team really wants to add on Patrick Corbin's salary for this season when they're probably not going to get anything of any value out of him. Maybe that's an easier thing to try to figure out in the offseason, where, again, teams are going to know, have a better idea of, like, okay, this is our budget for the offseason. This is what our payroll is going to look like next year. How do we make Pat Corbin work? You know, Or maybe they can spin it into a, third, into a three-team trade where a third team just takes on Corbin's salary in exchange for a, a highly-ranked prospect or two. You know, And um, the, 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 the Soto team essentially just salary washes him. I don't know. I mean, I think there are definitely more possibilities in the offseason in terms of just get making something a little more clever, so to speak. But I do think that in order to get the most value possible for Soto and this just leaving Corbin out of the equation at this point, I think you have to do it before next Tuesday. We'll end on this. Does that flip or does that make the Cardinals the favorite based on what you would expect them to have to give up in a Juan Soto deal? Would that put them atop the NL? Would that put them on par in a seven-game series with the Dodgers, Mets, and Braves? That's really tough. Um, He obviously makes them better, so we can just go ahead and and acknowledge that. Mm. Um, I think the problem with the Cardinals is, and, and if there is a problem with them going after Soto, I think it's this. They really, really need rotation help right now. Um, mm-hmm. Matt's has just not been healthy all season. Um, Dakota Hudson, when healthy, has been pretty bad. Uh, Jack Flaherty has not really been healthy this season and just healthy in a way, too, with shoulder problems where you can't really, I don't think, count on anything coming um, or count on him being able to provide much. Wainwright has been up very up and down. Mikolas is no one's idea of a staff ace. Andre Palante has been fine, but they, they really, really need an arm. 
And so mm-hmm. I'd be, I would almost imagine that for as much as they make sense for Soto, I have to imagine there's a very loud portion of the front office saying, look, we need to go get someone like Luis Castillo or Frankie Montes. Well, I think Corbin like, would be included in the deal too, right? Like Corbin's going to be That's the thing, Corbin doesn't help them in any capacity. Yeah. You know, he's just another bad arm for the back of the rotation who, yeah, he'll throw it. He's just the equivalent of a very expensive Dakota Hudson. Mm. And so I think if you're the Cardinals, the argument becomes, would we rather have Juan Soto and really beef up our lineup? Or do we trust that what the group we've got there is okay enough for now? Maybe we make an addition around the edges and focus moving some of those prospects like Wynn or or um, or I get Jordan Walker is probably not going to go for anyone short of Soto. But, mm-hmm. you know, is there a deal for for Castillo or for Montes or for another starter who makes a more sense for us? Because that's where we really need the help right now. And we need a guy who we can line up to be our number one in, in our in postseason starts slash, you know, to help us try to win the division. I'm not sure. I mean, I obviously don't know which way the Cardinals front office is trending. I do think either way, though, I don't really see them being the top team in the National League if they get either of Soto or a pitcher. If they were to get Soto and a pitcher somehow, which I think would involve cleaning out their farm system completely. Sure, possible. But as it is, I just I don't like St. Louis's pitching enough, I think, for them to be ahead of the Dodgers or the Mets or really even the Brewers at this point. Um if they get Soto, I think they jump ahead of the Brewers at least, and I think they become favorites for the Central. Similarly, I think if they get Montes or Castillo, uh, that equation in the Central changes. But I don't know if they're good enough to jump into that Dodgers-Mets-Braves tier right now. Well, um, we shall see. We shall see. Something we don't have to see is uh, I, I'd like, I like got weirdly excited about this, John, because this is our beat. Uh, we've been on this for, for years now. Um, mm-hmm. The Rangers signing... Uh, flame out pitcher who's past his prime who everyone else has moved on from not texas dallas keichel is a texas ranger and people like laughed that off and i saw some of the response of what are they doing what are they doing is they're finding their next uh re- rehabilitation project what the that's gonna be great do. yeah what, what do you mean always do like this I, is gonna work. What do you mean like people are he's like, definitely oh, gonna, he's, he's gonna have like an, a sub two era from here <laughs> to the end of the season going to turn that into a one-year pillow contract somewhere yeah um this is a yeah, great I, move for dallas keichel man i w- the rangers are magic but if they could fix dallas keichel who's looked so burnt that he's basically ashes this season all power to him you know that that would be something astonishing but yeah this is a it, it, it's it's obviously more about the depth than anything else because the Rangers yeah. rotation has had some injury problems and they don't really have the starting depth in the minor leagues right now, I think, to carry them. But yeah, I, if they can fix if they can fix Dallas Keuchel, they can fix anybody, truly. Hey, I'm here for it. It's a tradition. Unlike- make it happen. Let's try to make it happen. Let's try to make it happen. Um, so where is the best place for Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ? Um, it looks like Contreras and Robertson is a strong possibility to the Mets. Do you like that kind of package? Does Contreras make sense for the Mets? Where does Happ make the most sense? Because it seems like Jed Hoyer is preparing a pretty big sell-off um, in Chicago over the next couple of days. Yeah, the Cubs are really bad, and it doesn't seem like there's any reason for them to hang on to Contreras or Happy on this. I, I don't think next year's Cubs team is really going to be appreciably better, and I don't, especially because I don't see um, the Ricketts being willing to pay Contreras what he's going to get as the obvious best catcher on the free agent market. Um, I think Contreras to New York would make a ton of sense. They really are not getting anything out of their catching position, especially with James McCann hurt. Um, and also the options otherwise there being Tomas Nito. Um, 
Similarly, I think uh, Houston, Tampa Bay obviously could use the help. Uh, they're down Mike Zanino now for the rest of the season. They just lost Frank Francisco Mejia for an extended period of time. I mean, their starting catchers right now are Renee Pinto, and I literally do not know who their backup catcher is right now. I don't think anybody does. Um, mm. Cleveland also has a whole of catcher, but I, I can't really s- – and I, I could see it in their case just because in Cleveland he would be 100% a rental. I don't think there would be any real – belief or pressure there to try to sign him to any kind of long-term deal or and, and i think that's the case for everybody i think the if he were to go to the mets he's a, he's almost certainly a rental depending on what they want to do with francisco alvarez and whether he'd be part of a juan soto package or an attempted juan soto package tampa obviously is not going to spring the money um to keep him around long term cleveland i don't think would spend the money to keep him around long term secretly a team that really really should be in on Contreras, but it will never happen for a million different reasons would be st louis um hmm. boy would that be funny um Miami would make plenty of sense for him where Jacob Stallings has really not worked out um but yeah I mean I, I think of the teams when was the last that, time Miami had a good catcher I feel like they've been looking for a catcher for a decade it, it's been a they've bit. been wandering must, the abyss it, it's been a bit but I think I think if you were to make a list of the likeliest landing spots it would be New York Tampa Cleveland and Miami just in terms of proximity to the playoffs uh need at the position and the fact that none of those four teams I think are going to feel any real uh, pressure to sign Contreras long term, so I think they can kind of dictate what the terms of the package would be, as opposed to a team that both has a hole at catcher and a long term need for it. Mm. Um, as for Hap, I mean, if you're you're looking generally for some outfield help, I think, I mean, the Red Sox would certainly make sense, but God only knows what they're up to at this point. Um, mm. He'd be a better defender than anybody on the Phillies at this point. Uh, similarly, with the White Sox, I think those are two very defensively challenged teams and two teams struggling in the outfield who could use who could use his bat. I'd be curious now, and I know um, in Atlanta just lost Duvall, but I, I I don't really see Hap for them because he's a left-handed hitter, right? I believe so, right? Yeah, and so they what they're presumably going to be looking for is Hap is a, not Hap. No, Hap's yeah. a switch hitter, so I could yeah I could see Atlanta maybe being interested now that they've lost Duvall, um, having a guy who can platoon he with just cost too much. I think I don't think the Braves are willing to like they'll yeah, probably I, entertain the Otani rental stuff like that, but I just. They're not going to replace Duvall with an expensive 27-year-old in his prime and a half. Like, if they did anything, like, who they want is Jock Peterson back. And that's just not happening. Uh, The Giants are still in the playoff push. So, I don't don't think that's happening. But I think Hap is – I would love Ian Hap as the Adam Duvall replacement. I just – I have my doubts. Yeah, but I I think in, like, Philly, Chicago – J.D. Martinez, though, by the way. I don't know. I've talked myself into that being – why not? Send J.D. Martinez our way. I have a hard time seeing it because he just has to be the DH. He cannot. He can, play he the can field. DH here. Azuna, and then you want, you want Marcelo Zuna playing the field all the time? Uh, hey, look, <laughs> sacrifices have to be made. I um I think for Hap, Philly, Chicago, and maybe San Diego, uh, another team that's kind of outfield deficient would make sense. I could see mm. New York doing it if they manage to move Joey Gallo somewhere else. I I don't see that being part of any trade with the Cubs. I think the they would just have to spin Gallo to someone who just would like to try a change of scenery outfield bat. You know, maybe that's Milwaukee, maybe that's San Diego. But yeah, I think Philly, Philly and Chicago in particular probably have the biggest need for another outfielder, and particularly the knowledge that even though Hap is not a he's a he's an okay defensive outfielder, but whoever he'd be replacing, he'd be an upgrade from. I, I think at either on either team, so they I think make the most sense for him right now. Interesting. Um, what doesn't make any sense is the Detroit Tigers, John. Um, from Ken Rosenthal today, Tigers willing to trade uh, Tariq Scoble uh, and just about everyone. 
What? Hold on. Sure. I mean, whatever. just. Well, I mean, whatever, ultimately. Really, the Tigers are not an absolute whatever at this point. I, I, I'm with you. I don't really understand. I, I don't understand how why you would want to trade guys like Scooble if they're ostensibly part of the future. I can understand. He's like, what, okay, 25? Yeah, I, I can understand like Robbie Grossman or yeah. Jonathan Scope or, or guys like that where they're just clearly not going to be a part of, you know, they're they're. They're older free agents, older veterans who are, you know, they're not really part of that upcoming core. But yeah, what is what would be the point of trading Scooble? He's 26 I, years old. Oh, my God. You don't have a better starter right now. You've had, what, six straight losing seasons and you're going to trade one of your like happy makes, stories. From this no year? Sense. It makes no sense to me, especially because you, you don't know now, like who knows what's going on with Eddie Rodriguez. Yeah. Uh, Casey Mize blew out his shoulder. Matt Manning has had severe shoulder problems. Um, Torkelson. Torkelson is now back down in the minors after struggling badly. Like, why are you why are you trying to get rid of one of the few young players on this team who's actually been functional so far? Right. That would make no sense to me. Like, this I would, just... I, I can see like maybe they want to see if like is there anyone who wants to try to bite on Javi Baez at this point? Again, like does someone like a, a Tucker Barnhart or a Jonathan Scope or a Robbie Grossman or maybe even a Heimer Candelario? Does that move the needle for anybody really? But Scooble, that, that that makes no sense to me. Why why would they do that? There's this not a guy who's going to bring back a, a, a huge package in return. The best you're going to get is a guy who has probably like a a, a decent chance of being Tariq Skubal. Why would you just not? But he's also just under team control for how long? Yeah, that's the other part of it. He's going to be there in there for a while. Like similarly with it, it, that just makes that makes no sense to me. I just I if you do that, it's like Avila's got to be out. Like this is just you got to do some wholesale. What I what I don't understand is why Detroit is even letting him be in charge. Like the 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 Al Avila era in Detroit has just not worked. It has just not Mm. worked any real in in any real direction. Like you 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 got some good prospects, but they have yet really to pan out. The great majority, if not the entirety of their of their major league free agent signings, have been a disaster for the greater Mm. part of a while now. Like. Why is Avila being allowed to run drafts and decide the future of this team? He's like one of the most respected dudes in baseball. I think is part of it. Like he, I, I read just, everything about it, and it's like that guy is bulletproof. And, I just uh, get the sense that that ownership there, the that the that Chris Illich doesn't really seem to have any interest in actually trying to run this team well. Hmm. Um, but I, if you were, I don't really see how you can come to the conclusion that Avila should be the guy who should be in charge of any of this stuff right now. And that's particularly the case if they're talking about moving a guy like Scooble. That just makes no sense whatsoever. That's that's punting. That's punting on this team another like two or three years if you're going to start doing stuff like that. Detroit fans, we feel you, man. Like this is uh, this is rough. Um, the AL Central, man, just as a whole, like just a lot of lot of darkness that just clouds this division. Whether it's Kansas City, Detroit, Chicago, even Cleveland, like. I mean, whew, what a horrific state of affairs for that division. Um, we'll end on this, John Taylor. Uh, I want to get your perspective. Did you watch the 28 to 5 game live? No, actually, I was at a Friday night's Mets game here in New York. <laughs> okay. So I, I saw it happening on the scoreboard, and I just hear everyone around me was just freaking out the entire time because, well, we have not seen that since literally the 30 to 3 game back in 2007. I mean, just John, the Red Sox. Like, is everyone getting moved? Like, what? What do you? What would you have been doing watching twenty-eight to five 
live. I would have turned watching. it off probably. Okay. At some point. What, like, how, what I, I have better that... things to do than watch the Red Sox get their asses stomped in. I hope. What number would it have been for you where you're like, I'm out? Honestly, by the time they reach 12, that's usually the point where I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> Anytime double digits come into the picture and you're yeah. once you are either down double digits or you've allowed the other team to reach double digits and you're nowhere near it, that that usually is my point that I just don't want I, I don't want to be involved anymore. I think about um, I'll never forget being on my couch and like uh, like the way that whole day went. I think, you know, where I'm going with Fulte on the mountain against uh, St. Louis. Um, and that what was that wild card was it the nlds i don't even remember now what what was that um do you know what i'm talking about uh where the game was over in the top of the first where faulty just oh gets... yeah yeah the the final game of that nlds between the cardinals yeah and nlds yeah. right um and we were all packed in the living room just decked out ready to go and it's over in the top of the first like there's just i baseball is just brutal in that regard where you're like i just there's no mathematics like there it's over like there's just nothing like in basketball you can be down 25 and still feel like hey game of runs like we can get hot we can come back football you can get hot like hey like it's a possibility 35 to 7 doesn't mean it's definitely over in the first baseball you're down double digits and you're just like oh yeah with the, with the exception it's just of that, over with the exception of that random cleveland seattle game from like 15 years ago, whatever mm. it was, where the Cle- where Cleveland was down like 15 to one at one point and then came back mm-hmm. and went at like 16 to 15. And, but that's like once in a millennia. Like, again, right. for me, it's like once it becomes a blowout, I'm baseball is not a game that where blowouts are enjoyable. It, it's just not. Mm. I don't think there's any sport where blowouts are necessarily enjoyable, but at least mm. it feels like with other sports, like the, the blowout, it's almost like the pace kind of picks up at a certain point. Baseball doesn't do that. Baseball just drags on when you're going to when you're getting blown out. I will say it's a lot of fun as someone who was in the building for Tennessee, South Carolina, where we're up 28 nothing at to the first quarter, like stepping on a rival's neck that early and being in the building for that for football and just overpowering a team and just really, really burying uh, the opposing football team is just. Yeah, but at least I mean, the nice thing with like college football is you get the running clock, right? No, because every everyone can just agree. It's like, OK, this is done. We're 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 finished. Like, we won't want to go home. I was seeing like I, I remember there were balls. I was falling on my phone. There were ball strike calls in that in that Blue Jays Red Sox game where it's like a ball, like an in like half an inch off the players being called a ball. And it's like, come on, man, this mm-hmm. is a 20 run game right now. Like, let's get this moving. Why are we? That's kind of like again, that's kind of the thing with a baseball blowout. They just drag on and on and on. And then eventually you have to watch a position player pitch, which I I, I used to I'm. Not to turn this into a whole other thing, but I, I really do think there need to be more stringent restrictions on position players pitching at this point. It is too hmm. much. We are seeing them too often. It is the definition of non-competitive. It is basically equivalent to throwing what's left of the game. Yeah, it's it, it's just ridiculous. How do we have bullpens that are nine players deep at this point, or whatever it happens to be, and you're still being used? You're still using a, a position player to pitch the ninth inning or the eighth inning of a game. That's well, we that's, know what this is. It's when you don't have starters going the length that they used to go. Like that's even, part even of then. Like I, dudes. I think we're at the point where it's like you can only have a position player pitch if you're down ten or more. Ooh. Like I, I really would like to see more restrictions on that because it's, it's it just makes a mockery of the entire game at that point. Yeah, like it, it just turns it. it if you're not going to compete past that point, then forfeit. Just say yeah. we're not going to play this inning. I don't know if you actually can do that necessarily, but at the same, it's basically the same thing. Just say we're yeah. done. We're done playing. We're not going to. We're not going to use any more guys. We're done. This is over. Finished. 
it, it's just it, it's it's ridiculous to me how often this has now become a thing. It, it, it's just completely again non. It's non-competitive stuff. It's completely against the spirit of the game. It feels like, you know, it's one thing to throw in your subs. It's another thing to put a guy on the mound who hasn't pitched since high school. You know, who throws forty-five miles an hour or fifty miles an hour and has no idea what he's doing. You know. Not only that, but then you're just dragging the game out further because every dude coming up against him is just taking like batting practice swings, basically. You know, I, I, I just, but yeah, I, I, I did, I would not have, I would not have stuck around with that game for particularly long. I think once it crossed 25, I probably would have turned it back on just to see how close they could get to 30. I really mm-hmm. did think 30 was going to fall. I, it was, I think it was like 25 to three or something in the sixth inning, and I figured three. Three innings to get five runs when one of those innings at least will be pitched by a position player, they're going to get to 30. But it just shows to show you, it just goes to show you how singularly hard it is to score 30 runs in a baseball game. You really, really have to, like, the night the Blue Jays had was, for all, by, by all effects, perfect offensively, and they still didn't get there. You know, it really takes a lot of work. Mm. Well, let's end on this, John. Give me. We're going to record the, the next week's show after the trade deadline passes. Give me one move the Red Sox make. Give me one big move they make. That's tough just because I, I given the absolute week from hell they just had, you know, I, I, I don't really see how they can consider themselves buyers at the moment. Um, mm. But on the other hand, I don't really know, excuse me, beyond Xander Bogarts or Rafael Devers, who you know, for all I know, maybe they have been making them available, who they would be able to move that would count as a big move on the selling side or Yavaldi if someone is interested at the moment. Uh, I, I really honestly don't know what they're going to do. You know, they, they just don't really have a whole lot to offer in terms of smaller stuff. Anyway, I think it's, if they're selling, it's going to be, they're going to see what they can get for Bogart's endeavors and Yavaldi. If they're buying, I think it obviously makes sense for them to target an upgrade at first base or in the outfield. And I think someone like a Josh Bell would make a lot of sense there or Ian Happ. Ian Happ would make a lot of sense for this roster. Um, I, I really don't know though. I really don't know where this team is going to end up, what direction they're going to end up going. Like Hmm. you, I, you can, I think you can make a case either way. And certainly after the way they've played the last week, like I said, I think it's pretty easy to say, no, the team should be selling. They're simply not good enough, but I, I really don't know. I think, I think if I had to guess, they're probably going to end up being soft sellers and just seeing what, if anything, teams would be interested in on what they have on their roster. But I, I I don't think they're going to make a big move one way or the other. Okay, I like it. John Taylor, what can the good folks check out over on Fangraphs.com this week? So our big things this week are two of our annual series uh, currently running. First is our trade value series where Ben Clemens ranks uh, the top 50 players in the league based on their trade value. So a good thing ahead of the deadline to get a sense of you know what the who the most valuable guys are in the league trade-wise. The other uh, running series we have currently is Jay Jaffe's replacement level killers, where he looks at each position around the league to see which teams are below replacement level there. Uh, contending teams are below replacement level. And, you know, just to give you a good that's a good primer, I think, on where teams and where particular teams are deficient and where they need to make a move one way or the other. So check out those two. Uh, we've, we're up to. Uh, we're up on trade value numbers 40 through 31 just published today. Replacement level killers. We just did the middle infield. Uh, tomorrow will be third base and center field there. And trade value will be the top will be 30 through 21 with the hopes of getting the top 10 out on, I guess it would be Friday. Uh, also trade trade. I mean, most, most everything we're doing this week is, is trade deadline adjacent. Uh, similarly, Eric Longenhagen has a piece. He had one earlier this week, looking at the 40 man roster crunch for teams around the American league. 
He's going to have one for the National League uh, tomorrow or Thursday. Again, a good primer to get a sense on wh- like which teams actually have the roster space to make moves, which guys who are kind of you know on the bubble roster-wise through this offseason would be potential players who'd be moved, either prospects or non-prospects. So all told, put all those things together. You can get a pretty, pretty good uh, gauge on what the deadline's going to look like. And, of course, any deal that happens between now and Tuesday, uh, we'll be covering it in some fashion or another. So, yeah, come on over to Fangraphs. We've got lots of trade deadline stuff. We will be there doing trade cool trade deadline stuff. We promise it's a better use of your time than hitting refresh on John Heyman's Twitter account over and over again. There you go. John Taylor, thank you as always, and I will talk to you next week. All right, y'all, that'll do it for part two here on the Wednesday, July 27th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Pod Network. Thank you again to John for coming on uh, part two here on a Wednesday. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. And if you did, please, please, please make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you get your podcast. It helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. Part three coming up with Tom Westerholm of the Boston Globe. Right for this. Stick around. Uncle Derek, how to do. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.